Welcome back to another episode of Resonate Radio. It's the Cannabis Club. We took a little bit of a break. What intended to be a spring break ended up being a half summer break. But don't worry, the episodes have still been recording in the background. I, I just have not had time to edit. Uh, with a new job over at one of the largest cannabis greenhouses in the world, and I just decided to go back and play baseball again and also umpire baseball or referee baseball for those who don't know what that is and i've absolutely enjoyed it uh giving back and helping out the kids and you know making sure that they're able to execute their games is so much fun but i digress on that we have dr avery gilbert on the show today our paper is the consumer perceptions of strain differences in cannabis aroma dr avery gilbert is actually a smell scientist he has written a book called What the Nose Knows, The Science of Scent in Everyday Life. The other really cool thing about this episode is this is actually from last year, about this time. I was on a contract out in Portugal, and so my audio is a little bit interesting, but this is also one of our episodes that we did live uh, on Clubhouse. So really excited to bring that kind of original vibe and, you know, maybe you can kind of hear a little bit of the, you know, unpolished early parts of the Cannibal Club. Anyways, it's wonderful to be back. This is going to be a two-part episode. We have a couple of two-parts coming up. Again, excited to bring some really interesting viewpoints from some of the coolest authors that are actually doing cannabis research. Thank you also for the support on Resonate Radio. Share the link with all your friends, review on Spotify, and enjoy the episodes. Let's get to it, everybody. Dr. Avery Gilbert and the Cannabook Club live on Clubhouse. We're talking about smelly smells today. Um, today's paper is titled Consumer Perceptions of Strain Differences in Cannabis Aroma by Dr. Or by Avery Gilbert and Joseph DeVerdi. Um, where are these guys out of? Colorado. Nice. So we usually like to start with um, the abstract. I'll just kind of like blow through it and then um, we'll take each section and start dissecting it. Usually the abstract has a nice summary of everything that was kind of investigated and found at the end, but you get a lot more detail out of each section, of course, but why don't I just read it? The smell of marijuana, Cannabis Sativa L, is of interest to users, growers, plant breeders, law enforcement, and increasingly to state-licensed retail businesses. The numerous varieties and strains of cannabis produce strikingly different scents, but to date there have been few, if any, attempts to quantify these olfactory profiles directly. Using standard sensory evaluation techniques with untrained consumers, we have validated a preliminary olfactory lexicon for dried cannabis flower and characterized the aroma profile of 11 strains sold in the legal recreational market in Colorado. We show that consumers perceive differences among strains, that the strains from distinct clusters based on odor similarity, and that strain aroma profiles are linked to perceptions of potency, price, and smoking interest. Not too, not too crazy of an article this week, so that's um, a nice change of pace. Um, uh, Molly, would you like to take it away with the introduction? 
as we know, cannabis has been cultivated for a millennia and there are many varieties that exist nowadays that have been bred for their desirable traits such as potency, um, their growth form and flavor. And even though cannabis is still remaining on Schedule 1 of Controlled Substances Act in the U.S., a number of states have legalized its possession for medical and recreational use. As a result, the... You know, we have a retail industry that has emerged, and among a lot of the uh, cannabis-based products, the dispensaries sell the buds, which is the dried cannabis flowers. Um, and not only, you know, they have the cannabinoids uh, such as THC and CBD, they also exhibit a wide range of strain-specific aromas. Um, the smell of cannabis is a pretty big issue on many fronts. Uh, it's going from the plain smell rule that was adopted as a Fourth Amendment search and seizure doctrine um, to the uh, public complaints arising from commercial growing operations. And with the expansion of that legal recreational use, producers and consumers are more aware of the smells uh, for the aesthetic and experiential reasons, um, as well as people understanding that it has um, more cues about the product quality than we thought. Uh, for example, the um, cannabis smell is used as one of the criterias during cannabis competitions. And um, given the influence of microclimate and soil conditions on the quality, there are efforts in California to establish some appellations um, similar to those in wine. And there was 11 in Mendocino County and Humboldt County is pursuing a similar plan. Um, this has been published in 2018. So maybe there were some more changes, but the, the sensory lexicons do exist in um, other products such as uh, wine and coffee and beer, and uh, they usually present it in the form of um, kind of like a flavor wheel, and there is a standardized set of terms that can enable concise and reliable, um, easy, easily understood description um, so that the consumer can sort of understand what the um, pro product is. Um, there is no standardized lexicon yet for uh, dried cannabis, um, and the scientific analysis of the scent has been confined mostly to the chemical identification of the compounds uh, rather than uh, to the insight of the consumers. And in this paper, they undertake the direct sensory evaluation as a first step to understanding of cannabis aroma. And the three main goals were to, uh, number one, develop initial uh, lexicon for cannabis, but using standard. Um, and number two, determine whether there are measurable differences in the aroma profile among the strains available on the retail market. And number three is determine whether strain-specific aroma profiles can be linked to consumer perceptions of the product quality. And I'm complete. So at no time did the participants come into direct contact with the cannabis samples. Uh, retail sale of marijuana for recreational use to adults 21 years of age and older has been legal in the state of Colorado since January 1st, 2014 was the premise of it. Uh, the participants were recruited from the local community by means of flyers and an online newspaper advertisement. Uh, printed text emphasized current, former, and non-users all welcome and that only sniffing was required. No touching, no smoking, no eating. 
All participants were at least 21 years of age and residents of Colorado and had self-reported normal sense of smell, which is kind of an interesting one, but uh, exclusion criteria included self-reported pregnancy, active nasal allergy, and current head cold subjects were paid $20 for their participation. So the odor stimuli or the samples that were used uh, were purchased from two Fort Collins dispensaries. Uh, they're licensed for retail recreational sale by the state of Colorado. 11 strains or cultivars, alien dog, Durban poison, fruity pebbles, G13, jelly bean, lamb's breath, lemon diesel, mob boss, OG Kush, Snoop OG, and super skunk. A nice little wide range for any of us who's ever been uh, inside of the dispensary. That would seem like it was a pretty wide range uh, of different strains that were purchased. The details are also noted regarding the dispensaries, the cultivation facilities, uh, and all that is provided in here. The other thing that we wanted to touch on is that there are controls in here. So they have the Durban poison uh, that they purchased was purchased from two dispensaries and both are the duplicate strain samples that were included as a control for the consistency on the retail side. And then a duplicate sample of the G13 um, was also included as an internal control um, for the panelist consistency. So total of 13 different samples were pre presented to each person. Each stimulus or stimuli that we have here, it's a one gram of dried cannabis flour. So one gram of flour um, was presented in a wide mouth jar, uh, or sorry, a wide mouth amber glass bottle uh, labeled with a three digit code. Uh, the samples were kept in a freezer at minus two Celsius. So 30 degrees Fahrenheit, I think. Uh, maybe 29, somewhere in there, uh, and thawed at room temperature for 20, or sorry, for two hours uh, before testing. Uh, the stimuli were exchanged for fresh samples midway through the study. In this paper, they identified the odor stimuli according to strain designations provided at the dispensary. So this is where they talk about the taxonomic validity and, you know, name of strains, uh, hybrid, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in here. So that is not really relevant to this. They're mostly just going off of smells. 48 different odor descriptors. So this chart is also listed in the study. I think the one that, where the heck was it? I had a star on here. Um, tobacco. That was the one odor descriptor uh, that kind of caught me a little bit off. I was trying to remember the one time that I've smelled cannabis that smelled like tobacco and I couldn't really come up with one but the rest of them are all I, I like them um, you know chestnut citrus coffee mango menthol mint anyway there's 48 of them go check them out everybody uh, so the product evaluation questions uh, given to the participants in the form of a printed ballot uh, and there is three product evaluation questions so we have based only on smell and they would conclude how potent do you think this sample is and how interested would you be in smoking the sample of cannabis or how much would you expect to pay for a gram of this cannabis so three interesting questions based on smell uh, again how potent do you think this sample is how interested would you be in smoking this sample and then how much would you expect to pay for a gram? First two questions were 11 point scales, uh, ranging from zero, not potent, not interested at all, to extremely potent, 
And then the third question uh, consisted of 11 values going in $2 increments from $2 to $22 per gram to $22 per gram. Uh, I believe that's US dollars. So uh, based only on smell, again, from one to 10, uh, how potent do you think the sample is? How interested would you smoke it? Would you be in smoking it? And then the money values, $2 per gram to $22 per gram, how much would you expect to pay for it? So three interesting evaluation questions. Um, so for the procedure for this, after they send the consent form, uh, participants are asked whether they had a purchased and also <coughs> smoked cannabis flower since it became legal in Colorado. Um, subjects were, <laughs> this is one of my favorite lines in this whole thing. Subjects were tested individually in a well-ventilated six by 2.6 meter room with neutral decor. This, that's my favorite part of the whole thing. I love how the comment of the decor has been there. In you know, the cultivation study we did, they didn't really talk about the lights per se, but in here we definitely know the neutral decor. <laughs> uh, the order of the sample presentation was randomized uh, for each subject and panelists were instructed to sniff uh, the sample and to check as many uh, or as few odor descriptors as applied to it. So it was emphasized that there are no right or wrong answers and the test administrator and all but the current sample bottle were hidden behind an opaque white partition. And I think that is all I have on my notes. Yeah, that's all I have on the notes. Um, I pass it on to the next person. Thanks, Corey. Great job, everyone. Okay, so we've got our experiment. Let's look at our results. So 61 people took part in the study. Yeah, mean age of 28.2, plus or minus 8.4 years. Um, and the study resembles um, your typical consumer perception where um, purchase use and or familiarity with the product is a requirement of participation. They were rating the samples with their nice little list of 48 descriptors. What are, so our highest number of descriptors per sample was four, which kind of makes sense. There's, I feel like there's so many terpenes that there's always a nice blend of smelly smells. Um, the most frequently used descriptor was earthy. The least frequently used descriptor was tar. I think that makes sense. Possibly with the tobacco smell as well, as Corey mentioned. As for that figure one, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's just the frequency of descriptors per sample. Some of them even got 18 descriptors. Sorry, the most frequently used descriptors were from familiar categories of everyday experience, such as woods, spices, florals, and citrus fruits, but also included notes such as diesel, skunk, pungent, and cheese. Yeah, some of the higher um, frequency of use was earthy, herbal, woody, flowery, sweet citrus, more of the lesser used were tar, strawberry, peach, pear, apple coffee, chestnut. Okay, then looking at more strain-specific aroma profiles, um, the most common terms used to describe OG Kush are earthy, herbal, and woody, along with flowery, sage, and nutty, where in contrast, Durban Poison 
from vendor one was characterized as citrus, lemon, and sweet, as well as pungent, lime, and diesel. And there's some examples on figure three um, where you're comparing both or two strains that are tested, those two that I mentioned, OG Kush and German Poison. A lot of them are pretty similar. You can see that citrus um, closer to Durban poison than OG Kush. So this is kind of showing that they are they are, I mean, kind of different, kind of kind of similar. And then we're looking at so what they did was they did an analysis where they kind of statistically clustered everything together or a hierarchical cluster analysis. Basically, so cluster A is including um, those two duplicate samples of G13. Um, and it's indicating that participants used odor descriptors consistently across samples, um, whereas cluster B includes both the independent retail samples of Durban poison, indicating olfactory consistency in real retail offerings, um, at least for that strain. Uh, most the most frequent descriptors for so oh yeah for cluster A were earthy woody and herbal, whereas cluster B the most frequent descriptors included citrus lemon sweet and pungent. So we're kind of like dubbing these like the earthy cluster and the citrus cluster. Um, they kind of talking about how. The like the 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 citrus cluster was kind of weird because more of the specific like it was also close like some of the descriptors were grapefruit, lime, lemon, orange. So it was kind of weird. They were kind of like, okay, that's kind of all citrus. So basically they just messed around with this cluster analysis and um you can look on figure four to check it out. Um, they basically they feel pretty confident that these two clusters would be the best, most parsimonious um, arrangement of a hierarchical cluster analysis tree. It's kind of like a taxonomic tree. It's pretty interesting. Um, and then the way you would kind of read this, it's got kind of like a time, not a timeline, but a measurement scale, and if the further it is from each other on this scale, the more different they're going to be, but um, they all fit in well enough to form two clusters. And yeah, um, kind of the summary of these clusters is that cluster A is earthy, herbal, and woody, and B is citrus, lemon, sweet, and pungent. So the kind of clustering them up Puts, puts it into a little easier way to explain things down the line. So in terms of the product evaluation questions, um, the strain means varied by about two rating points of, on potency and interest and by more than $3 on price. Uh, the smell-based estimate estimated prices corresponded reasonably well to the actual purchase price per gram. Um, which ranged from $9.29 to $12.24. Um, 
you know, kind of talking about a lot of statistics, of course, um, product evaluations and aroma. So for the citrus group, cluster B, they were perceived as more potent than the earthy group, cluster A, and they also yielded higher scores for smoke interest and estimated price. And in particular, like the citrus, lemon, sweet, pungent character of cluster B is associated with greater perceived quality than earthy, herbal, woody characters of cluster A. Which kind of makes sense. I feel like people people do err more on like sweet and citrusy. And then as for the THC concentration, our experimentally determined THC content was lower than the range of values listed on the retail label for at least six of the 12 samples. And um, that's kind of not surprising because, I mean, I guess it is because there's definitely like a time, like a, a difference in time of the like growing process of the plant when it's like tested for samples versus like what you're actually gonna get out of the bottle. So it makes sense that half of the samples didn't match the THC content and it was lower. Um, we have a table two breaks down kind of all of the different samples, what cluster they fall into, their potency, interest and priced amount. So while participants perceived large differences in sample potency based on smell, these perceptions do not correspond to the THC content of the samples. Um, similar analyses showed that neither interest nor price were correlated with THC content. I kind of wish they would have tested terpenes as well. Um, and you can look at table three has the measured THC content of each sample. And those are kind of the main highlights of results that I've got for you. Uh, Anna's gonna take it away with the discussion. And then we, okay. can, um, we can let up anyone that wants to ask any questions and maybe Mr. Avery here would like to join in on the conversation after the discussion section. You know, you can see this was super cool study. Um, and they actually found a lot of information um, throughout the study. And of course, one of the things that, you know, struck me was, you know, obviously the smells are cool and all, but that, that THC content that was measured and then compared to what the label said, that's been one of my sort of passions that I've been talking about for a while now to, so to find out other people have also seen this is super interesting to me. And I just, I guess <laughs> I never really like, I have read this paper several times, but I was concentrating more on the smells and I never really looked at the THC content and I read it again today and I was like, oh my goodness, how did I miss this? But anyway, I digress. So um, in the discussion, they talk about how these are all untrained panelists, right? These are not sent um, experts or anything like that. Um, but even though they were untrained, they were able to discri discriminate uh, different aromas when they were presented with these different cannabis samples. Um, the duplicate samples of G13, so when they bought this sample of G13, they took it and they split it into two, uh, two different samples. So, you know, instead of having 
they you know bought four grams instead of two grams and then split it into two different sample sets so that it was the exact same sample presented two times um which uh, they were rated similarly, which is good. That tells us that um, people weren't just were were good at um, kind of smelling the same things when they're presented with the same item. So that was a really good control. And then the two samples of Durban poison purchased from different vendors. We do know that things are different when they're grown under different conditions and things. They were still um, they were a little bit different more more different than the two g13s but they were still close enough and they were still in the same cluster which tells us that these two different samples of durban poison were probably both durban poison we know that there is from the paper when was that last week or the week before we know that there is a possibility that it could be something genetically different but these seem to be close enough that they could be durban poison and people were able to pick up on that um so they can discriminate the difference between the different strains and they can do it consistently. Um, the aroma uh, differences among the different strains were substantial and you can see that in several of the figures. You could see uh, there was, I think it was figure maybe four where it was comparing OG Kush and um, it was a Durban Poison, which were Oh, OG Kush and Durban Poison One, which were the furthest apart on the cluster analysis. So I'm guessing that those were the most different in terms of similarity. Um, and you can see the different red and blue bar that you can you can see that Durban Poison was much different from OG Kush. And there was a few that you know they had the same odor descriptors, but you know we have to remember that these are all plants, they're all cannabis. So of course you're going to see some uh, similarities in aromas, but there were definitely a lot of differences. So the cluster A contained strains um, that kind of went with earthy, woody, herbal type smells, and cluster B contained citrus, lemon, sweet, and pungent, as um, uh, Casey already said. Um, it is tempting because you have two groups, um, and we saw this with the with the genetic analysis. Because there's two groups, it's re it's really tempting to say, oh, one must be a sativa and one must be an indica, and we kind of have to get away from this because we know that 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 um those descriptions those taxonomic descriptions are not based on these types of observations they're based on growth patterns and um areas like geographical areas and they don't necessarily have anything to do with how the plant presents with its phenotype which includes the chemotype so all of this stuff um as well as um you know uh how how the different cannabinoids and terpenes are going to create their effects in you know a consumer so really tempting to say two groups awesome one must be sativa and one must be indica but um it's not really how that works um however you know we've talked about this indica sativa issue before and how it's how you know we're either talking about effects or we're talking about growth morphology those two things have nothing to do with each other and it gets really confusing because some people are saying there's no difference between indica and sativa and then there's other people who say i can totally tell the difference blah 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 but this paper this study um kind of presents a new way or a, a novel way of like reframing how we can categorize different strains making it uh, you know, because we, we want to give people choices, but we also have to help them um, 
talk about what they, their likes, their dislikes, um, and then be able to talk about those those preferences. So this is like reframing that whole thing, saying, well, they have, we have two big groups here of sort of aromas, which one person might find um, the the cluster A type strains more pleasant and and agreeable with their chemistry. Some people might find cluster B. Um, more pleasurable and working better with their chemistry. So this is kind of getting uh, into like the idea of chemovar, but less about analyzing the actual constituents of the plant, but more about um, what people perceive as as pleasurable or um, more about their their preferences. If that, I hope that makes sense. So super cool. Um, so. And after you have those two different big groups and you can start talking about these two different sort of categories, then you can kind of start splitting them up into more, get, you know, um, sort of honing in on what someone's likes and dislikes. So, um, so whether lower level relationships within the two main clusters are consistent and how they might be categorized in olfactory terms are questions for future research. And we always talk about this, how almost every paper that we read concludes at some point that, hey, this is a good start, that we need some more research, which is awesome because that's what we want. Um, so the 48 descriptors that were used in this study were sufficient to um, to cover the relevant odor space and allow consumers to differentiate strains by smell. Um, there, this was not as many odor descriptors that are used for coffee, which they use 85 descriptors for coffee and 86 for wine. But even though this this uh, subset of odor terms is smaller, it seems to capture the odors of cannabis quite well, where people can. Um, make those uh, distinctions. Um, something that was peculiar about cannabis is that some descriptors with uh, negative connotations, so skunk, pungent, diesel, um, we generally don't, in our, when we smell those things, we don't, lots of people don't say, oh, that's a, that's a nice smell. Skunk and pungent and diesel sort of have these ne negative connotations. But those kinds of smells in cannabis were associated with positive product evaluations. So they they placed, um, you know, uh, they they thought of them as more higher quality, perhaps a higher potency, and would pay more money for those those products with these what what we would normally consider um, smelly smells, not not sweet or nice smells. Um, so uh, there were some. In the product, so some smells in the product evaluations that were lower scoring, but um, maybe I don't know uh, the earthy chemical and tar. They were li linked with negative evaluations. Um, in contrast to wine and coffee terminology, in which skunk, for example, denotes a product defect. So in coffee, if you smell skunk, um, that's not a good smell and would kind of. Um, what do I want to say, like kind of give it a lower quality to to the smell of that 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 coffee. Um, that disagreeable smelling cannabis strains are popular with certain consumers is well known and resembles the popularity of other stinky products such as cheese, fermented soy, etc. So there are other products, they're saying here that there are other products where the smellier is the better. So, you know, there's lots of cheese connoisseurs that, you know, um, blue cheese is very smelly, Stilton cheese is very smelly. 
and those are high quality cheeses, or at least they're perceived as such. Um, another goal of the study was to determine the effect of strain-specific aroma on consumer perceptions of product quality. They were asked to rate based on smell alone, the potency of the sample, how interested they would be in smoking it, and how much they would expect to pay for it. Ratings for all three variables differed significantly across the samples, indicating that a strain scent can impact how consumers rate these aspects of product quality. And I, after I'm done talking about the discussion, I'm actually going to ask um, maybe Avery can help us. I feel like this is the reason uh, with, for Corey's favorite sentence in here that the room was with neutral um, decor and there was a, a white blind. I feel like it's to limit this, the other sensory information that they may pick up on, um, allowing them to only focus on the smells and not um, sort of add more to it that really shouldn't be there. Um, so although the smell-based consumer perceptions of cannabis potency vary by strain, they show no relationship to the experimentally measured THC content. So the, the THC content that was actually in those products that they put more uh, value in were not necessarily uh, higher in potency, which we're now you know focusing on this, that THC is not not how you should be judging quality, but nonetheless, um, the ones that had a better smell they thought would have a higher THC quality or content. So nearly all uh, study participants had experience with cannabis, so they kind of would know what to expect, what's supposed to smell good, what, what you know, higher priced cannabis smells like, things like that. So they kind of had a little bit of background in this. Um, the fact that participants familiar with cannabis flower and its psycho active effects believe strain aroma to be related to potency despite the lack of correlation with the THC content speaks to the power of consumer preconceptions. So that's what I was kind of just getting at. It's widely held that, and we've talked about terpenes before, I think, it's widely held that terpenes are the basis for cannabis bud aroma, an assumption based largely on their relative abundance in the plant. And I think um, I have talked about before, just because something is present um, in the plant in high abundance does not necessarily mean that that particular odor is going to be the most potent, the most um, perceived smell. And not only that, but combinations of different terpenes can create totally different smells. And I don't know what those are. Uh, that's Avery's, um, Dr. Gilbert's uh, sort of expertise. Um, and then um, there was a study that was done where they took essential oils of cannabis flowers and they noted that there was an association between high sesquiterpene concentration and low ratings on one hand. So a lot of sesquiterpenes, people kind of thought it was lower quality, high monoterpene concentration had high ratings. Um, so it's not obvious how mono and sesquiterpenes in cannabis can be responsible for the skunk, diesel, and earthy notes observed in our samples, but these characteristic notes may result from synergistic effects among terpenes or from the overlooked presence of non-terpene compounds. And not only that, I've talked about this before, that when we measure terpenes, we only have a handful of terpenes that are ever measured. Like it's usually around 17 to 20, maybe 25. We're missing a whole bunch that may not be terribly abundant. They might just be there in very small quantities. We don't measure it, but they could lend 
to the overall aroma of the cannabis in a significant way. Um, so then their closing statement for the paper is sensory evaluation combined with chemical analysis has the potential to identify the key aroma compounds in cannabis and how they vary across strains. Um, understanding these relationships will yield practical applications and standards for quality control and product consistency and will facilitate product development, innovation, and consumer education. And I just think that's a fantastic closing sentence. Um, and that brings us to the end of this paper. Thank you, Canada Book Club. Thank you, Dr. Anna, Molly, Casey. Dr. Avery Gilbert is going to join us for the second half of this and discuss all of the ins and outs of this paper. Excited to get that back to you all as soon as possible. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I had an absolute blast editing that. That is a complete uh, flashback to what was happening last year and really enjoyed it. It's good to be back here too. Uh, thank you again all for sticking around and you know, kind of asking where I've been and what's been going on. I'm good. I did one of the best things that I possibly could have done uh, for the brain and just sometimes you just need to recharge. So the episodes that are coming, cannot wait. The guests are honestly superstars in the academic world and these things that they are finding out with cannabis are absolute game changers. It's going to change how we cultivate the plant, how we think about the plant. Thanks for joining us on the Journey with Resonate Radio so we can bring this to you. Again, leave the review on Spotify. Share the podcast with your friends, family, whoever's going to find this interesting. And again, give us feedback. Get us on Instagram at Team Resonate. And you can also send us an email to info at resonatecannabis.com. Com. I'm out of here. I'll see you guys next time.